0: Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli, founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast.
1: Please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to if you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about composting. Hey, welcome to episode number 36. I have here today Spencer with Compost Nashville out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Spencer is the operations manager and co-owner. And Spencer, you were there at the beginning. Were you a co-founder as well?
0: So I didn't actually help found it conceptually, but I was one of our first quote unquote employees. Um, so essentially, in July of 2016, I got word that, that uh, Beetle, the, one of the the co-founders, actually was looking for somebody to help pick up compost. And I was just recently out of a job, so I was like, man, that, that sounds like an interesting opportunity. Um, and there wasn't there wasn't honestly a whole lot of money in the business. And I was like, man, I love the love the mission, love the the drive that everybody had that was involved with it. I said, if, if I can be a co-owner, I'm down to kind of take next to nothing and just, you know, help you guys get this thing off the ground. And that's what we did.
1: Uh, that's beautiful. I mean, I right now I'm in a staffing pinch myself with uh, O-Town Compost. And, you know, I, I feel like there's many different ways. Uh, if someone is passionate and hardworking, there's many different ways that they can either share in the profits or in the equity. So that's that's yeah, a really awesome. Um, amazing, man. How is the management structured now with Compost Nashville uh, now that, you know, you guys are pretty well established?
0: Yeah, so essentially um, we have myself and actually from the email signature, you're correct, operations manager, but I'm essentially our fleet have another operations manager um, and then he's got an assistant. And then my, my quote unquote boss, beetle, the guy who hired me, he is our CEO, but he really does our, our technology side. So he's actually custom building our software right now to accomplish what we want to do as far as customer portal, um, data logging, and even, you know, a, a shopping cart and things of that nature.
1: Oh, okay. So he has more of a tech background and I guess you don't use uh, like Stop Checker or any of those other common softwares that community composters use.
0: No, we don't. And and honestly, we've experimented and we've looked around. We we started with kind of our own custom version, of a database. Um, so we've always been super data-driven and we were able to maintain, pick up and, um, and really kind of stay focused on the fine data that we're collecting at every stop. Um, and routing goes, I have yet to find a program that can do it better better than we can in our own town. Unfortunately, I hate to say it that way, but they're, they're great. The, the routing programs are great for getting a, a good of a route if I were going to start from scratch I would definitely use one but once we get out in the field and we start doing it we kind of find a better a better flow
1: so yeah you guys uh are using your own technology and I know there's other community composters out there you know you're the fleet manager um what what does your fleet look like you know how many commercial routes uh residential routes do you have going like on the average day
0: Yeah. Yeah. So right now we do two commercial routes a day and five residential routes a day. Um,
1: Wow. That's crazy. So what, how many vehicles do you have and what vehicles do you guys prefer to use for the different sectors?
0: Yeah, man, that was actually something we took a long time to decide on. And we did end up going with Mercedes printer vans. Um, We were able to find a pretty reliable use source for those through rider rental trucks. Um, You can buy the used rental vans that way. And that's actually been a great way for us to get pretty affordable used um, Sprinter vans as our fleet. And I've learned how to maintenance those myself so I can keep them on the road pretty pretty efficiently.
1: Oh, great. So you are pretty handy when it comes to vehicle maintenance.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah, that's that's honestly been one of the motivating factors because I know the cost of ownership is regarded as being high when it comes to a German vehicle like a Mercedes, but they're, they're tanks. And honestly, if you know how to do the little things yourself, you can, you can save a lot of money on cost of ownership.
1: Yeah, I'm writing that down. That's a great resource. Um, I know that one of my mentors recommended leasing vans. Uh, did you guys ever look into, you know, leasing with the advantages being, you know, they change them out for you after so many thousand miles. They do the maintenance uh, most of the time you end up just paying like a pretty, you know, it's, it's not cheap. It's probably mm-hmm. a, a thousand to 1500 a month per vehicle, mm-hmm. but um, also you pay for gas and stuff. Did you guys ever look into those for your residential?
0: That was a consideration for sure. And, and actually part of why we buy used too is the, the actual environmental impact is a big motivating factor when we are deciding on what our fleet would look like. Um, and we have, we have the data to back and we do know our fleet is carbon negative and leasing and creating a new van every time we would, you know, essentially need a replacement for our lease would just not not work for our mission that we were wanting to, uh, to go after.
1: Gotcha. So like when they switch out a van, um, I guess it's just kind of a way of continuing to just produce more and more. It's like not really a, a long-lasting, durable, um, you know. Uh, yeah, that that makes yeah. a lot of sense. I
0: would I would prefer, and a lot of fleet managers would disagree with this, but I would prefer to run my vans um, over a million miles if I could, um, just because I don't want to have to create the emissions that are necessary to make an entirely new van to do the process that this one's already doing if we can keep it going.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, with diesel-powered vans, maybe... Have you guys looked into any, or do you have any diesel vehicles?
0: They're all diesel. Yep. And that is a goal that we will switch over to biodiesel. Um, um, unfortunately, right now, B10 fuel is the highest content we could run in our vans without modification. So we haven't moved forward with getting a biofuel because there's not a good source for that right now in our area. But um, if we did, if we did look into modifying our vans and maybe run a higher bio content, um, that would be something that we would love to move forward on.
1: Awesome. Um, and is like CNG, is that a retrofit that's possible?
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, one of our, our only gas burning uh, vehicle is a commercial truck. It's, a, it's an Azuzu, but it has a, a Chevrolet gas engine in it. And it actually formerly was a CNG vehicle that was converted over to gasoline because we don't have access to to CNG here, but that could easily be convert it back into a CNG burning truck.
1: Yeah. Cause I know a lot of the large garbage, garbage haulers these days uh, use CNG vehicles because mm-hmm. they're slightly better, you know, for the environment. But um, so what, you know, what are you using? It sounds like you're using sprinter vans, which mm-hmm. is great for your residential pickups. And are you guys doing uh, bucket swaps or are you just yes. kind of oh you're doing the full bucket swap
0: oh yeah we do we do bucket exchange we used to try uh, we experimented for probably three years with clean on site um and our humid and very very hot climate does not bode well for that for for the customer or for us when we try to clean up at the end of the day
1: yeah you think it's bad up there to come down to florida man <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's it's real but so, um, and just to be clear for everyone, you guys use a four-gallon bucket. We do. And that's, I'm assuming that's a lot easier to kind of like play Tetris in the vehicle. Precisely. It's square. It's
0: square pail, yes, sir. And that's, that is the motivation behind that 100% is that it, it fits into a van better. We can fit 120 in there and it, it doesn't take up much space at all.
1: Yeah, something we're actually experimenting, because we use the round five-gallon bucket But what we're experimenting with, um, and I'm driving the route this Thursday, Friday, but I'm actually going to tie the compostable liner, but not slip it around the rim of the bucket. I'm actually going to leave it in the bottom of the bucket and stack um, them on top of each other. So I'll have a stack of maybe 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. buckets with the liners ready to go. Mm -hmm. I get to the stop. I quickly take it out, put on the liner around the rim, put on a clean lid, and that way, you know, as the route progresses, sure we have we're putting more full buckets, which are taking up more space, but we're able to keep the clean buckets kind of condensed on one side of the the van. And I just had one of my drivers tested today. He gets back and says he hated it, but um, uh, you know. I'm going to give it a test and, you know, I'm not going to mandate it. If the driver uh, if it works for one driver and doesn't work for the other, I feel Mm -hmm. like that that is a win win.
0: You know, I love your You're bringing stuff up like that, because that's exactly the kind of thing we experiment with day to day. And we tell our new drivers like, hey, this is the way we do it. But. If you want to mess around and try it a different way and it works better and and, and someone else wants to do it that way too like we're all ears because mm. a fresh set of eyes is super valuable and just because it works one way for one person doesn't mean that's the way everyone else has to do it um and i would i would say are you guys tying knots on your bags to make them secure around the lid yeah what what size liners and what liners are you all using
1: we use eco safe mm-hmm. eight gallon
0: eight gallons yeah. we so they they actually did design a just minutely smaller bag. Um, and we have been purchasing those now and those don't require knots. They- The uh, seven gallon? I or? think they are a seven gallon. I can give you the exact measurements, um, but they, for our four gallon pails, they're perfect. And I think they would actually stretch out and and wrap around a five gallon just just fine. Okay. Yeah. I,
1: I have experimented with the seven gallon, but they still required knots, but unfortunately they didn't give the customer the full- volume of the five gallon bucket so that's why we switched to eight gallon to give people like the full um so if you might ask how many residential clients and i'm just focusing on residential now because i want to talk about commercial later how Mm. many residential clients and like how long are your your routes uh each day
0: yeah yeah so we're we're just under 1800 um total on our residents and um I would say the max number of customers on a route would be about a hundred. We try to once a route reaches a hundred customers, we try to split that down into two fifty customer routes, and then grow grow those up to a hundred and, and repeat the process. Um, but they would take anywhere from five to eight hours. We we really mm-hmm. try not to have too long of shifts.
1: Yeah, and I like that. Um, you know, I think you have to have the right driver to be able to push a route up to a hundred. Yes, because we had a driver who, you know, she had a life outside of work and she wasn't trying to work more than eight hours on our huge route day, which our biggest route is on a Friday. So what I continued to do was I would just trim off the edges of the service area for that day. And, um, you know, I had to do that probably three times because once we reach about 80, Stops that's when it's time to kind of trim off another 10 and then it will grow up, yep. And then trim off another 10. But yeah, I mean, I it depends on what driver you have. If they want to push 100, if they want to have like a nine ten hour day, mm-hmm. uh, then more power to them. So, I think you,
0: that, oh, sorry, that the density of Nashville as well. Um, we can. And our and our honestly on our on our great days, we can do 120 stops in four or five hours. Um, there's there is that wow. dense of neighborhoods that we have here.
1: That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I thought Nashville was a little bit more spread out, kind of like Orlando.
0: I'm I'm not sure um, in comparison to Orlando, mm-hmm. but we do have some some decent neighborhoods where you can really I mean, and we've we've really focused on density as far as our marketing. We do very targeted marketing to existing service areas. So we do increase that density. Um, and we'll have, you know, five to 10 customers per per city block. So our van can just rip down and they're hitting 120 in no time. Okay. Yeah.
1: That that's a different story than, than what we're dealing with and you guys service both multifamily and single family with those four gallon buckets.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah.
1: Okay. And, um, you know, what, what is the longest amount of time your driver will spend out on the route, would you say, on your longest day?
0: We actually just had a, a similar situation where Fridays were our very longest days, and um, through driver feedback, they were like, hey, could we maybe just make that like a, a middle of the week kind of thing, or <laughs> can we yeah. not have them, the worst day be the last day of the week? So we, we did take that feedback and split that down, but on those days, they would, you know, our, our start time's 8 a.m., and they would be trickling back in until about 5 30 um so that would be a, about a nine and a half hour day for them yeah
1: yeah i got the same feedback from my driver too like <laughs> friday should be a, a cake day you know yes but um okay so I, I recently just went to dc and uh sat down with um ben of compost crew who's their ceo out there and you know, they have like 7000 customers out there, they have an amazing, um, you know, God knows how many routes are running per day. But he was telling me that, you know, 30% of their routes were over 11 hours. Oof. And, you know, what he did was they switch from paying hourly to a day rate, which is just like a flat fee. And it's actually pretty common. And, the oil and gas industry or the trucking mm-hmm. industry um they switched that to the day rate and next thing you know none of their routes were over 11 hours so it is a bit of an incentive for drivers to you know not not go too slow you know they want to get out of there as soon as they can because regardless they're getting paid the same i don't think we're probably either of our companies are hiring people who are going to milk the clock. But Mm -hmm. I think that that was an interesting strategy. The one thing I would mention to listeners is you still have to pay overtime uh, with a day rate. um, And that means you still have to like, time them, you still have to have them clock in. And Mm -hmm. if they work over 40 hours in a week, you're still paying that overtime have you guys ever looked into that or are you paying hourly?
0: We do. We do uh, pay hourly. I don't know if we've ever considered a day rate. We used to pay per pickup. Um, so there was more incentive to actually do more in a less amount of time. And we found that to be counterproductive for for safety reasons, for um, quality of service and, and many other reasons. We didn't think that was a good uh, payment structure, but we do, we do offer as competitive of a wage as we can. And we are pretty aggressive with with raises, so that when people do stick around and they show that they get it and they they're part of the the culture, I guess you could say that we we make sure they're compensated fairly.
1: Cool. And what are um, what do you guys start at, and what is your kind of like raise retention yeah. structure?
0: Yeah, we start at seventeen an hour, um, and and here that's I would say maybe an hour a, a dollar or two over the the average hourly rate. I would say fifteen is more common around here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we pay 17 starting and then we do a quarter per quarter program, um, especially for the first year. So they can make up to that $18, um, in their first year. And then after that, if they're willing to stick around a year plus, it's kind of case by case. And we can, we can start talking either salary or, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: promotion within the company.
1: Oh, awesome. So you even consider salarying, giving your drivers a salary
0: up until this point, that's come with a, a promotion. Mm-hmm just because it made more sense that way. Um, because he's like, Hey, we, we kind of need to just stay driving for right now, but if you can hire your replacement driver, then you'll be our next assistant operations manager (laughs) or, you know, however that works. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, uh, like how big is compost Nashville's staff right now?
0: So we, we kind of keep ebbing and flowing. I think we're right around 17 or 18 total right now. Um, at one point, I think we were up around 21. Wow.
1: That's a good
0: sized team. Um, mm-hmm. How do you
1: recruit and kind of what are your guys like workplace philosophy, I guess?
0: Mm-hmm. No, we have a huge emphasis on work-life balance. So we we have a lot of part-timers. That's kind of been something that's, that's great for our local um, workforce. There's a ton of people that are looking for gig style work in Nashville. There's a lot of artists. There's a lot of just people that are trying to do other things other than their main day job and we totally understand that and we want to have that separation and balance for them um so that that's kind of been our 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 really driving force of bringing people in is the local community we grow our, our customer base through word of mouth primarily and we also grow our workforce through word of mouth primarily a lot of in uh, internal referrals we have a good referral program where they get five hundred dollars if they bring on someone else to the team so there are definitely incentives to, to keep growing the team within itself. And, and the culture remains pretty consistent.
1: Wow. That's a, a genius idea. I'm writing that one down.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask uh, a little bit about your commercial side of the route. Um, you know, first of all, I'm assuming you serve any businesses that produce food waste, regardless of what volume, what is like the largest volume uh, commercial business that you guys will serve?
0: Well, actually, that is a a big topic of conversation right now. Um, So great, great problem to have. But we do currently have a customer that is almost giving us too much volume. Um, it's never wow. something we've encountered before, but we're like, wow, maybe we need to figure out what our cap actually is. Um, so we don't, we don't physically have a cap right now that that's a discussion we're we're currently having, but we have a customer that's give, we have, um, 10, 10 of our 65 gallon roll carts over there and they're, they're being collected three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they're all full and they're all over our scales weighing capability. So we can weigh up to wow. 400 pounds and they're all much more than that. So they're, they're at least giving us two tons, uh, three times per week. Um, uh, so wow.
1: that's, and it's, um, is it an industrial haul holo- or industrial
0: business or a grocery yeah. store? Yep. It's a dog food processor. Yep.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. That's, that's really great. I hope you guys are billing them accordingly.
0: <laughs> that's a part of the conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, what kind of trucks do you guys use? It sounds, if I had to guess, you're using 65, 64-gallon totes mm-hmm. for commercial businesses. Are you using, like, a per- uh, Perkins satellite or a Parkin? We are. dump?
0: You're exactly right. Yeah, we're using a Perkins 10-yard satellite uh, with a candy cane tipper on the side of it.
1: Oh, can I ask you how that is? Because I actually just put down a deposit, and I'm expecting us to get a Perkins 10 yard satellite um this fall so I'm excited I mean that's going to really shift our business into the next level but what are the intricacies what are the you know the the pluses and the the Mm -hmm. minuses I guess you would say
0: I'm not gonna lie it's been a it's been a learning process um and the the Perkins body is is phenomenal it's great I've I wish we would have known what we know now if we were to build another one. I will say that. I think the weight of our material is something that Perkins underestimated heavily. Um, If if you're specking that out right now or if you already have, I would recommend the largest candy cane that they offer uh, because ours is a little too small. It's underrated.
1: So meaning like a 400-pound toter, it can't really get it up there?
0: Yeah, even though it is rated for 400, if you, if you continuously load a 400 pound on there, it will, it will do some damage.
1: And I'm sure you guys keep it greased and everything too. Yeah.
0: Yes. Maintenance is, is daily um, essentially on that thing is you want to, you want to keep an eye on it. We do preach, you know, the truck that it's on is just under CDL, but we, we do treat it very much like a CDL vehicle and we do pre-trip inspections every day. And and that is a part of that is that the driver or whoever's doing that inspection is going to inspect that, that tipper unit and the entire body
1: what is the on like the daily maintenance that you guys do for the perkins
0: yeah it's mainly greasing i'll honestly i'll be honest silicone spray i go all over that thing with a lot of silicone on the on the chain on the drive um there's a lot of different cogs that don't actually have grease fittings so that the only really way to do it is an aerosol lubricant
1: okay interesting um And you're saying they kind of underestimated. I know it's specifically made for organics, food waste. And with a 10 cubic yard uh, body, I was kind of hoping for, you know, that to be able to handle 10 cubic yards of food waste, which probably is like equivalent to 15, 20 tons. Is that a decent estimate?
0: no i think that's a little high on the weight um the volume i I would say the highest amount of weight we've had in there is probably five five tons um 10 10, pounds
1: oh okay yeah Yeah. that's still um that's still much better than our current vehicle we're using a three cubic yard park in easy dump in the back of like a gmc sierra and we you know, did all the right things. We put the leaf springs and the bump stocks into the truck so it doesn't sag, but it's still we don't we want to not overload it. But it's the a body, different. Yeah, the
0: body's actually only over been overloaded one one time, um, and we actually were we're lucky enough that our processor where where we actually tip our material had a, a machine that was able to get underneath there and help of, help our truck oh, tip.
1: Really, so like the <laughs> uh, hydraulics couldn't even get it up.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. I've That's actually once.
1: one time uh I filled my dump my dump with rice, which is uh, the most dense food waste you can practically get. And yeah, I had to get back there with a shovel and lighten it before I mm-hmm. could even do it. Yes, but, sir. But um, is it a diesel Perkins satellite or uh? So satellite?
0: the the chassis that is on is an Azuzu FTR. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. a 26,000 pound or just under 26,000 pound chassis.
1: And is that, that's diesel, right?
0: It is, yes. Yep, it's okay. a 5.2 liter ter- turbo diesel. Yeah.
1: So the, the chassis where, um, you know, we purchased is um, a Ford F750, I believe. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't know uh, what the difference will be, but hopefully it'll work out.
0: So we, we actually had to, add a washout system onto our truck. Um, That was kind of part of what we wanted to do for a tip and run system. We knew we wouldn't be able to just dump it and put a liner in it and rock on. Um, So it does have a huge space between that satellite body and the cab of the chassis where we have um, a hot water unit essentially that's rigged up with a sprayer that rotates essentially to to clean every nook and cranny of the bin. It's a pretty proprietary sprayer in and of itself um, meant for cleaning trash cans.
1: Right. And I mean, we had that option, but we opted not to go that route. Mm-hmm. My thought was, number one, we haven't been doing that to this day, um, although the summer is coming and mm-hmm. the bins live out at the dumpster, though. So like it's already not really a, a, a great place. Like no one expects it to smell
0: <laughs> yes. like
1: a fresh laundromat. But um. Great. The other option, the other thing I was thinking is that that adds significant time to our driver's route, especially if you have 10 bins that you have to rinse out, then put on the liner. But I mean, mm-hmm. what are your guys' thoughts? You you're just a lot more thorough.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of been always a part of our pitch to our customer. Cause one of the so essentially when we first started, we we're like, why don't people compost? What are the barriers um, and accessibility? Um, obviously they might not be able to compost on their own. So that's kind of where our residential service was born um, price and then smell ick factor was, was one of the biggest barriers of people, why people don't do it. Um, so cleanliness has always been one of our highest standards that we keep and, and pitch to our customers. And we, we do have a lot of um, flower shops and things of that nature that keep the bins inside. We have some caterers that have zero lot, so they don't have a dumpster area. So there's, there's solutions where you must do that um, with our customer base, but I, I will agree that it's not necessary everywhere.
1: Yeah. And I would guess, I would just argue against that in the sense, it's very important to combat that negative, pers- uh, con- um, you know, that negative stereotype about ick factor with, mm. on the residential side which is why just like Compost Nashville, we swap buckets, we Mm
0: -hmm.
1: wash them with soap and water and sanitize them. We tried really hard to get out that smell in in the household. But all our bins, maybe because Orlando is just more spread out, there's always dumpster enclosures. There's always plenty of space out in the parking lot kind of away from the building, where we feel like we want to don't want to compromise our driver's safety i mean when we started we were rolling 64 gallons filled to the brim into a trailer and we quickly realized that was not uh sustainable so Mm -hmm.
0: we still actually have one vehicle that's just a a flatbed like a stake side truck with a lift gate on the back um and that's i will say probably one of the more dreaded vehicles for for someone to pilot with the heavier bins
1: (laughs) is that like your backup vehicle
0: right now it's it's alongside because we you know we have the demands to where we need it to be running um so it's running five days a week as well but we don't send it out to our processor we used to we used to send it out there and we would just tip the carts one by one off the back of that flatbed and and wash them out with the water you know little little garden hose
1: yeah (laughs) how many vehicles in total do you guys have
0: we have eight fleet vehicles now
1: okay um and just to give me an estimate like what does a, com- a commercial auto insurance monthly premium look like for eight vehicles
0: man i would actually honestly have to ask beetle um or he he's kind of handling our numbers on that but i i i'm assuming it's probably anywhere from from a thousand to a fifteen hundred dollars per month
1: what wow that's like what i was paying just for one vehicle uh but then i did find a better policy uh, with a different carrier but yeah I don't know I think maybe in our industry you either luck out and you get a good insurance broker who like really tries to find the best fit nasic Mm -hmm. code for community composting or you don't luck out and you just get hit with you know the premium that a trash hauler would get hit with so
0: yes I think we do we have a pretty decent relationship with our with our broker and we've had the same one forever so that's honestly i've never had to to shop around i've been blessed on that that's
1: great yeah i would just recommend to listeners uh definitely shop around a bit before you decide to pay a lot because commercial auto insurance is going to be one of the heftiest expenses As you start to take on more food scraps, you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile microbin, designed and made easy by O2 compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae, making the end products safe to use in the garden. With 32 plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 Compost, is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting. I encourage you to set up a free half an hour consultation with Peter Moon by going to his website, www.o2compost.com. That's the letter O, the number two, compost.com. If you mention that you heard about O2 Compost on this podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the Microbin compost training program. Okay, another thing I wanted to talk about, you guys are haulers, do you process anything?
0: No, no, we don't process anything. So the compost company is the only permitted processor, as far as I understand in the state of Tennessee, but that, that may be not, not the case now, but they're the only processor in our area that is permitted to process.
1: And you guys bring stuff to their
0: site Yes, sir. Yep. 100% of our waste stream is coming straight to them.
1: And how do they view you guys? Like, pretty close partnership? Do they shake their fist at you for contamination?
0: (laughs) We've definitely had a a conversation or two about contamination, which is which is, I think, uh, an issue across the board for com- commercial waste streams. Um, you know, Whether that's recycling or composting, um, it just is a factor when, when yeah. you're on a commercial scale. Our residents are great. They're educated. We do our best to provide them with them enough material um, and, and knowledge to, to do it right. And they do a really good job at that. But the commercial end is very heavily contaminated at times. Um,
1: Especially yeah. at your guys' scale. I mean, how many pounds uh, per week are you guys bringing to the compost site
0: i can actually pull that up we report monthly um so i could e- easily give you monthly numbers so just in march we tipped 179,457 pounds over there
1: 179,000 wow mm-hmm. that yeah that's uh that's crazy that's like over 50 over no that's like over 80 tons is that
0: 180 yeah 90 tons
1: yeah wow that's that's Pretty, yeah inevitably you're gonna get more contamination on the commercial side um, what are your guys's kind of procedure to monitor do you have drivers lifting lids do you have like reporting and what are the trainings like that you guys do reoccurring
0: I would say all of the above and it, it's obviously driver specific and not everyone is going to be willing to lift those lids and 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 look through yeah, that um, that's so true. It is, it is case by case. Um, we do our best to educate our customers first. That's kind of our first determinant. Um, we're actually having this conversation right now between between our leadership of how do we develop a policy? Because right now we just encourage and we deal with it as it comes, but we don't have a, a firm policy. So we're trying to discover a way to possibly enlighten our customers say, hey, this stuff could potentially ruin a batch and send everything to the landfill. Um, we wouldn't want that to happen, so.
1: hmm what about, you know, you guys also deliver a fair amount of compostable products and it looks like you resell vegware. Yes. You resell like liners, compostable liners for Biobag or EcoSafe?
0: Yes, yeah, we we do both actually, yeah, Biobag, EcoSafe. Um, vegware is a uh, one of our vendors and I think right now we're we're shopping around for some more vendors as well. Obviously the supply chain has made that Pretty hard to consistently source products, so we're definitely looking to not only grow our catalog, but have some redundancy and resiliency when it comes to keeping inventory in.
1: And I've heard from one person in the industry that Vegware is your best bet for compostable serviceware because a hundred percent of their items are accepted, are BPI certified. Like it's not like some of those other ones that kind of toe the line between biodegradable and compostable Mm -hmm. i mean do you does your composting site accept like pla
0: they do yes they accept pla and honestly it's you know we we self-report to them by weight so we've always operated on the honor system um, with them essentially they they trust us and we trust them we've got a, a great relationship with our processor and they just want to know that you know whatever we're sourcing for our customers is is good product so that's kind of another motivation to go with bedware it's legit stuff and as far as performance it performs it outperforms some of its you know styrofoam and plastic counterparts it's, it's really actually good product
1: yeah yeah i know there's been a lot of people complaining about paper straws recently mm-hmm. um so what does that side of your business look like how do you deliver that stuff on your route? Is most of it going to your commercial customers or is yeah. there a small trickle? Uh, what, what? How much is going to your residential customers?
0: So we don't actually have any residential compostable sales right now at all. Um, everything is B2B. Um, it's wholesale. So it's case volume only. We're, we are thinking about doing smaller than case volume and, and breaking cases and maybe doing like package, package deals for people like a picnic pack or something along the lines of that. Um, but right now it is strictly to commercial customers and other than one or two of our, of our compostable ordering customers, they're all active compost pickup customers as well. So we do try our best to deliver that on their pickup day in the vehicle. That's already making that trip there to avoid any additional emissions with, with delivery.
1: Yeah. And also they're not having to pay for like the shipping
0: or paying for the delivery. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah that's a great incentive, and um, that's funny because we we deliver some compostable serviceware and products, uh, mostly eco-safe stuff. Plenty mm-hmm. of liners. We even started this new service called Special Recycling Service, where we're including hard to recycle items that we'll pick up from our subscribers. Uh, since we're already going there. We'll pick up their batteries, cores, light bulbs, textiles, plastic film, uh, paint cans, even, you know, as long as it fits in a shopping bag size, because uh, space is a premium in those Mm -hmm. bands. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, we're really, you know, inverse of what you guys are doing. We're kind of focused more on our 500 subscribers, just because, you know, we feel like it it is a lot easier for us to just get a lot of orders, like a high volume of orders. But that that doesn't mean we're we're still selling cases of liners to our commercial customers. We're just not fully ready to buy a pallet of vegware and you know try to figure out that whole game. Because yes, sir. It, It's kind of separate, not to mention, we don't have the processing infrastructure here in Orange County to, um, I don't no no one's accepting PLA either. So that really limits what we can uh, sell.
0: Gotcha. That is, that definitely is a hindrance. And I really wanted to ask you about that. I saw on your, on your site that, that service that you're, you were just talking about, and I'm very impressed and I would love to know how you, you accomplish that.
1: Yeah, so uh, it really aligns with our mission of waste diversion is Mm -hmm. our main goal. And, you know, we first had to explore the different outlets for these materials. Um, You know, some of the the batteries, light bulbs, uh, paint, those aren't technically being recycled. They're just being brought to the household hazardous waste facility where they're being properly disposed because you can't throw those things in the landfill. They can contaminate groundwater. They can be very hazardous. Uh, But the textiles, we lucked out. We have a textile recycler whose warehouse is like a five minute drive. He comes once we accumulate about a thousand pounds of textiles, he'll come in his pickup truck. We'll load them up and we can assure a clean stream. Whereas Mm -hmm. the drop boxes his company puts around town People just throw all kinds of junk in those drop boxes. So it's a win-win. And they haul it to their warehouse, they ship it to their um kind of factory where, you know, good textiles get reused, the not so good ones get turned into carpet, insulation, or wiping rags. Wow. Um the The cords. Um, For a sec, there, I thought I was going to become a scrapper because I live (laughs) in the part of town where I have scrap yards near me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, sure, it probably can't be that hard to like clean these cords and just have the precious metals remain where you can get like top dollar for that. Mm -hmm. But I quickly realized I'm way too busy to do all that work. So um, I'm just bringing them to the scrapyard. I'll probably just give them to the first guy, I see, and, you know, so that's, that's taken care of. We do collect small electronics up to the size of a DVD or VCR player. Wow. And, uh, again, I'm lucky. I live in the part of the town where we have our electronics recycler with 24 seven drop off. Um, and they're again extracting the precious metals, they're making sure though they get recycled, and they're not getting like I, I don't think they're being shipped to Southeast Asia where you know that, that would be kind of counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, oh yeah, and then the plastic film, you know, we that's probably our. That that that's like we're just bringing them to like Walmart or Publix here in, in town where they have a plastic film drop off. And, okay. you know, people question if they really recycle those flexible plastics. I did go to a, when I was still in the waste industry, I, I met um, some reps from the, the Publix grocery store. And they assured me that that it was getting recycled by a reclaimer here in the Southeast. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can't really don't really have the time to check up on that, but I think it's better than just taking a chance. I mean, it's better than just throwing in the landfill because at least there is a pretty good possibility it's being recycled. And, all the services are really convenience based. You know, I just thought about myself, you know, I hold on to my batteries, my cords, my electronics for years now, uh, just cause I I'm never going to pass by the proper facility where I need to take it. And I'm only going to do it if it's absolutely convenient. So I just decided um, there's a lot more people like that. And of course we sent out like a survey to make sure That there was enough interest before announcing the service Mm -hmm. and the last thing I would say there is a small fee associated uh, about five to ten dollars ten dollars for the paint because that's like the riskiest um pickup material Mm -hmm. but um yeah so it it works out pretty well and I would say in the first month we've diverted you know uh. a Yeah, probably a barrel, you know, like a 32-gallon barrel of paint equivalent, probably 500 pounds of textiles, um, like like probably 50 or 100 pounds of batteries. It's crazy how many batteries. And some of our commercial clients, like these offices, uh, I don't know how they got their employees to bring in their batteries, but we've picked up a lot of batteries from commercial clients
0: as well that's incredible man that's incredible and i think there, there's so much value in just getting these systems put in place even if the the end result right now isn't perfected i think just having having the groundwork done like you're doing right now just setting this up and getting customers used to the idea that they have this convenient offering um, that they can they can have that waste handled in a proper ways is, is is great man
1: yeah and as long as your you know your software your routing software is set up where it's not a hassle to simply just add on a couple items to pick up alongside the normal bucket swap. Uh, it's, it really is not too much of a hassle.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. It's really nice.
1: Um, what is your bucket washing, uh, system look like?
0: It's a, it's a conveyor dishwasher. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And your warehouse has like the, the, what do you need? like. Like just a water hookup, basically
0: you need pretty serious infrastructure um, three phase power um, and then and yes, water is is okay. generally what you need we're, we're in the process of figuring out how to run a single phase unit because we are actually in in the middle of a move or're relocating warehouses So uh-huh. <laughs> we're going through all of that right now, but yeah, so you, you need pretty serious power for it, um, and we've we've actually included that in our emissions calculations to to make sure we're not creating more emissions than we're diverting. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, all said and done, even with all the diesel we burn and, and the water we use to clean our bins, we're we're still reducing uh, methane and, and carbon emissions.
1: Okay. Have you ever looked into like, a, you know, like a commercial, like a restaurant dishwasher? It's, you can only fit in one or two buckets, mm-hmm. but I remember there was a composter up in Maine I talked to who said they could do a hundred buckets in an hour. Um, have you guys looked into something like that?
0: Yeah, that's what it is. It's yep, oh, a okay. commercial conveyor machine. We can do four, 400 in an hour um, in, in that unit. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's probably what it is going to have to be for us someday soon too. Um, you know, I would say, like on the larger scale, countrywide, the southeast region of the United States uh, is the most wasteful in the United States, and you know it's it's rural areas, suburban areas, and urban. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at a place like Orlando, Florida, or Tampa, where it there wasn't really an outlet for food waste until, you know, it took a couple entrepreneurs to come out here and same with Miami, same with, um, you know, a a lot of metros in the Southeast, but, you know, how are you guys kind of breaking that stigma and um, shifting the culture there in Nashville? Um, How, how are you guys targeting that cultural shift?
0: Well, man, honestly, Nashville is a, a wild place to be right now. I've I've been here my entire life. I grew up here um, and it became the it city <laughs> about 10 years ago. And and everyone from places like New York and, and Oregon um, are coming here and they had these systems back home and they're, they're like, what the heck, where, where are you guys at Nashville? And so that's actually been a blessing for us is that people come here expecting this service to exist. And we're one of the few companies that do offer that. Um, and as far as, the the surrounding areas outside of nashville composting is a commonplace activity there there's a ton of farming operations and you know there's a lot of rural land just like you're talking about and they they totally get what we're doing and are behind it Uh, i think we've got a lot of buy-in as soon as we kind of educate people onto what we're doing and why we're doing it
1: yeah wow yeah that's great i know that um some of our customers have moved to nashville and started service with you guys and i think vice versa Mm -hmm. so i i think it definitely does help when people migrate from a place where composting is already part of the culture yes and you know my hope is that landfill tipping fees will rise in the future just to at least make just to at least shake up the the politics, you know, like solid waste directors and municipalities everywhere are way too comfortable. Let's put the pressure on them and raise the tipping fee from like 40, 30, $40 to like 80, 90, and then watch them squirm.
0: <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think the the most successful place to hit someone is in in, in the wallet. Um, and that, <laughs> that's yeah. where, where we go for sure.
1: Cool. Well, it, yeah, my last question in this pilot program in Metro, are they looking to keep like recycling and trash service the same? Or are they looking maybe at pay as you throw?
0: I think that is part of the conversation. Yeah. The, the pay as you throw programs. And I was going to bring that up. That that seems to be a successful model. Um, Cause just like you said, it, it effectively raises that tipping fee and yeah. there's, there's now a financial incentive for you to do something better with your garbage.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, I've heard this from like directors of solid waste, you know, the people responsible for rolling out the pay as you throw and converting from the existing program. It's a huge headache for them, but you know, they're going to probably want to fight it tooth and nail. But uh, at the end of the day, it's definitely the right thing to to do municipal wide. So mm-hmm. yeah. But, and we're
0: lucky. I think Nashville is, is planning for that and they have, infrastructure right now um in place under the water services that could possibly translate uh, into a pay as you throw um billing platform
1: oh perfect Mm -hmm. all right well thank you so much spencer this has been a enlightening conversation i'll reach out if i have any questions about the perkins satellite um keep crushing it there with your team in
0: nashville thank you so much charlie you too uh, out there in, in Orlando, man, O-Town looked very, very awesome from y'all's website. It was, it was cool to look at everything.
1: Cool. All right, well, have a good night.
0: You too, man. Thank you.
1: If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in the episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's five, ten dollars a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling.